بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لام را تلك آيات الكتاب وقرآن مبين ربما يود الذين كفروا لو كانوا مسلمين ذرهم يأكلوا ويتمتعوا ويلهيهم الأمل فسوف يعلمون وما أهلكنا من قرية إلا ولها كتاب معلوم ما تسبق من أمة أجلها وما يستأخرون وقالوا يا أيها الذي نزل عليه الذكر إنك لمجنون لو ما تأتينا بالملائكة إن كنت من الصادقين ما ننزل الملائكة إلا بالحق وما كانوا وما كانوا إذا مضلين إنا نحن نزلنا الذكر وإنا له لحافظون ولقد أرسلنا من قبلك في شيع الأولين وما يأتيهم من رسول إلا كانوا به يستهزئون كذلك نسلكه في قلوب المجرمين لا يؤمنون به وقد خلت سنة الأولين ولو فدحنا عليهم بابا من السماء فظلوا فيه يعرجون لقالوا إنما سكرت أبصارنا بل نحن قوم مسحورون الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على المبعوث رحمة للعالمين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد الحمد لله we have reached the 14th juz of the Quran nearly to the halfway mark and today we begin with surah al-hijr one ayah of which is in the 13th juz and Every other ayah of it is in the 14th juz. The 14th juz, the 14th part, also begins then Surah An-Nahl. So we've got two surahs in the 14th juz. Surah An-Nahl takes the majority of it. It's a larger surah. And Surah Al-Hijr is a much smaller surah. Surah Al-Hijr. Hijr. It's a Makki. It's a Makki surah. So it's a Meccan chapter and there are 99 verses therein but they're very very short short verses they're shorter relatively speaking and it's split up into six sections even though it's got 99 verses but though uh, when I say it's shorter in terms of verse number you've got 99 whereas in the next surah you've got 128 verses so 28 more verses but it takes nearly three quarters of the Jews whereas this one only takes a quarter so that means the the ayat, the verses are very, very, very small. The reason why it's called Surah Al-Hijr, Hijr means, generally they say Hijr Ismail. The semicircular area next to the Kaaba is called the Hijr Ismail. That means like a boundary of some sort. But here, this is the Wadi Hijr. Wadi Hijr is basically the place of Salih salam. So this is in between Medina Munawwara and Sham, Syria. There comes a place, Madain Saleh. And that's what the, uh, the people of Saleh used to live there. And because of the events and the punishment that came into the area, that's why that discussion is mentioned in here. We'll come to it when we come to it. But that's why this surah is called Surah Al-Hijr. Essentially, the Qawm of Thamud. Right? That are based there. They call Madain Saleh today that area. It's kind of a world heritage site or something as well, I think. Again, the first, uh, the first part of this chapter starts with Alif Lam Ra. So the Huruf Muqatta'at, starting with Tilka Ayatul Kitabi wa Qur'anim Mubin. These are the verses of the book and the clear Qur'an. The clear Qur'an. The word Qur'an itself can come from the word Qara'a, which means to read. So that which is read, the Makrut, that which is read. So that's one meaning. The other thing is that it could come from the meaning of to join together because all the verses come together. So the literal meaning of Qur'an is either to be joined together or to be recited, which applies, you know, in both senses. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, رُبَمَا يَوَدُّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا لَوْ كَانُوا مُسْلِمِينَ Those who disbelieve, sometimes they would hope, that eventually a time will come when they'll hope that they were Muslims. 
you'll see the same. This is a Makki surah. There's a lot of discussion about establishing the firm beliefs and correcting misunderstandings, cor correcting a lot of the wrong ideas and so on. So the first thing is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses how the disbelievers, because they would have maybe seen the descriptions of the hellfire, I mean, they would have seen hellfire by that time, they would then hope that uh, they were Muslims. But at that point, there's the hope of being a Muslim doesn't make a difference anymore. That's too late. So that's why the Prophet, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet ﷺ, just leave them, let them eat and enjoy, and let their hopes uh, make them heedless and distract them. فَسَوْفَ يَعْلَمُونَ Soon they're gonna, going to know. وَمَا أَهْلَكْنَا مِنْ قَرْيَةٍ إِلَّا وَلَهَا كِتَابٌ مَعْلُومٌ Any place that we destroy, or any people for that matter as well, they've got a certain, they've got a fixed period. That's where the time is fixed for every single individual. And that's why مَا تَسْبِقُ مِنْ أُمَّةٍ أَجَلَهَا وَمَا يَسْتَأْخِرُونَ Nobody can go beyond that fixed period, that fixed date. Nobody can go beyond that and neither will it come later. It's never changed. We know exactly it's completely planned, 100% and there's no mistakes in that. You see, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that how is it that they're going to, you know, how is it that they believe in this when they They called the Prophet and they said the one that who this reminder is being revealed upon you are insane. And then, لَوْمَا تَأْتِينَا بِالْمَلَائِكَةِ إِن كُنْتَ مِنَ الصَّادِقِينَ Same old. You know, why don't you bring us some angels if you're truthful? So Allah says, مَا نُنَزِّلُ الْمَلَائِكَةَ إِبِلَّا بِالْحَقِّ وَمَا كَانُوا إِذًا مُنْظَرِينَ if, we if we were to send down angels, right, that would be like a last resort. They would not be given any time afterwards. They would have no, they would have no respite afterwards. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We've revealed this reminder, which is the Qur'an. So the Qur'an is a dhikr, is a reminder, and we will protect it. This is a, such a protected book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when it came to the other prophets and their scriptures, their scriptures was, were actually given over to the people to protect and they were given certain maybe laws and so on, but unfortunately they did not fulfill that, fulfill that and thus the books became interpolated, their scriptures became changed and altered and split up and all sorts of things and so on. So there's a lot of change that took place in there. But with the Qur'an, even though over 1400, I know this is an off-quoted idea, but it's well worth mentioning again, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has taken the responsibility of its preservation and you might say, well, why didn't he take the responsibility of the previous ones? The previous ones were time-specific, right? There, there was going to be another prophet that, that was going to come, a new sharia, right? New revival of things. So maybe that's why he left it to them and then they changed it, because it was never meant to be forever. But when it comes to the Qur'an, it's supposed to be forever. That means it has to be, it can't be left to human beings. Humans are prone to mistakes, right? Humans are prone to mistakes. So insan makes a lot of mistakes. So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taken the preservation himself and that's why he's facilitated several different things. That's why the Qur'an is probably the only book of this size, right? The only scripture book of this size. I mean, this volume that I have is 800 and something pages, right? Um, that is memorized by children as young as four and five years old sometimes. I mean, I personally know children who memorize it at the age of six and seven, right? I personally know them. That is in itself a miracle. These children are, sometimes, they don't even know their own full language properly. They can't even read their mother tongue, English or whatever, maybe properly, but they know this by heart. They may not even know a word of it, but Allah makes it easy for them. If they go and try to memorize something else, sometimes it's not that easy. This is just flows, the, just the way Allah has made it so conducive for memorization, and that is pretty much the world over. Then we have numerous other places, do it in Tarawih, repeat it in Ramadan, review it in Ramadan, and so many other things that we have. To keep it then, that in itself is another miracle of the Qur'an. The preservation that not a word has changed. In fact, we have some of the oldest versions of the Qur'an purported to be the oldest. As I mentioned to you, Uthman was the first to have it consolidated, all the various readings and modes of reading consolidated and 
scripted in his very specific style that allowed for all seven readings that I talked about the other day and sent out to the seven uh, different cities of the Muslim world. And uh, so the way it was written as well, not a thing has changed since then. Yes, we've added dots and we've added, there were no dots in those days. They didn't have a difference between the ba, ta and tha or jim, ha and kha. That's why they knew how to read it. We wouldn't be able to make that difference because we have no training. Uh, but then they added the dots, then they added the fatha kasra, the voweling, right? That was all done later, and then additional things that they've added. But otherwise, the lettering, the wording is the same, right? Not, no, nothing has changed in that regard. That which was allowed to be the way it was to be read from before, that's exactly the way it can still be read today. Now, the, the rest of this surah, uh, obviously, there's a lot of discussion about the qudra and the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the evidences. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is openly, loudly, explicitly stating verse after verse throughout the Qur'an, speaking about how Allah is the Khaliq, He is the creator of the entire existence. He points out, can you create this? Can this be created by anybody else? Just look at this. Just look at the might of this. Look at the mountains, how the mountains actually work as pegs to uh, stabilize the continents, and, and so on and so forth. SubhanAllah, which... Science discovers later on the truth behind these things, right? We don't wait for science. This is what it is, but it's nice when something is confirmed. So all of this bears witness to the greatness and the might of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His wisdom and everything. Allah speaking about the heavens. You'll see that discussion when you read through this surah. The earth, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the expansive fields and plains, uh, oceans, lakes, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about, um, uh, would you call it, uh, trees. The, Allah speaks about the birds. So ornithology, that's represented in the Quran as well, the study of birds. That's why, for example, let's just take a look at the few verses you, which you can find, inshallah, for yourself. But verse 16, for example, وَلَكَدْ جَعَلْنَا فِي السَّمَاءِ بُرُوجًا وَزَيَّنَّاهَا لِلنَّاظِرِينَ We've placed these towers in the heavens. Buruj, Burj is a tower. Right, and they look like towers, like something peak high up there, right? Meaning in their elevation height. These are the stars. And we made them adorn, we beautified them for those who look. And the stargazing, that is amazing, right? But because we've lost that due to our light pollution, we then sometimes have to take expensive trips to Wadi Rum in Jordan, for example, to go and, you know, gaze at the skies. Or when I go to Perth, Australia, mashallah, there you can actually still see the stars. It's quite amazing. Especially if you use Google, Google Sky, I think that's what it's called. You can actually, and a lot of these stars out there, you'd be surprised, they've been actually mapped by Muslims, right? Muslim astronomers, that's why they still have Muslim names. Like the official name is a Muslim name in many of them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the, uh, the jinn and so on, how they used to steal some of the information from there, but we're not going to go. In this earth, we've placed for you venues, sources, of living that's why nobody after reading this verse can say that they don't have something if they make an effort they can get something i recently visited a country and i said how are people they said basically anybody who makes an effort in this country can do well if you see somebody who's not well that means he's not willing to work hard right they just want to get by meaning they don't want to work hard they just want to maybe take handouts or something so allah's place so make an effort. وَإِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ اللَّهُ أَكْبَرُ These are verses. وَإِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ Verse 21-22 وَإِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا عِنْدَنَا خَزَائِنُ There's nothing except that Allah has the keys of the treasure or the treasures of it. Allah has the abundant storage of this. Right? As much as He wants to give. وَمَا نُنَزِّلُهُ إِلَّا بِقَدْرٍ مَعْلُومٍ But when we give it to people, we obviously give it in measures. Based on how we want to do things and how People make an effort. Allah then, as I said, He's pointing, indicating towards some really important aspects. So, for example, He's saying that we've sent the winds, right? We've also caused water to descend from the heavens. And we've basically watered you, right? We've given you water from it. It's not something that you could have stored. And just, just think about that one single example. What is the storage of water that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you could not have stored that much? Because, okay, we've got the oceans full of water, the seas and so on. 
But how do you take it from place to place? That's a huge irrigation, you know, irrigation feat to be able to do that. What Allah does, He lets it evaporate. Right? Uses the sun, evaporates, form into clouds, drives the clouds to wherever He wants it to rain. And thus it just rains there. And that's thousands and thousands of liters or gallons of water that are basically absorbed up and then travel, they're, they're taken to wherever Allah wants to provide that fertility and then that's where it goes. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying is that you don't have that kind of storage ability to, to do that. And we're the ones who give life and we give death. And we're gonna, you know, the, the inheritors as well. Everything is gonna be left to us. And subhanAllah, we know those who will come before, we know those who will come afterwards. So you, it's well worth, you'll see the, that, that second section, that second page is all about that. Now the third one, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to uh, now focus from outside to now the human being. And he's talking about the human being. The, the human being is a biological miracle, right? Anybody who studies, I mean, you get a book of anatomy and you just start looking at the complicated, sophisticated, elaborate design of just how the food goes down, goes into the stomach, large intestine, small intestine, uh, something goes into the colon, then there's other that go into the bladder, and it, the, the large intestine, its function is to take, absorb certain minerals or whatever. The small intestine takes some other aspect. The, the stomach basically processes the food. And how in each of these places, there's various different goodness that's taken out, whatever's bad, whatever's excess, whatever's fluff, that then is passed through. And again, the whole fixture, the one-way path, and so on and so on, is just amazing. I mean, we could be talking about that today, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created it. But anyway, I'll leave that to you and the anatomy books that you can look at in biology. So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to talk about the inception of man. How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, So, Jinns, jinn are created from fire. That's their origin. You're wondering like, how are jinn created from fire when they're not flaming all the time? Right? As though you know. Um, and human being is told to be, is mentioned to be clay, uh, created from clay. From, from dirt. So, just the way, I mean, when you pick at yourself, when you scratch yourself, there's no dirt that comes off. Meaning there's no... There's no soil that comes out. You can't unhinge and dissolve the human being and make them back to us unless you put them back into the earth. So what do you mean you're created from soil? Angels are created from light. What does that mean? So the source is the soil. How Allah took from the soil and the creator of Adam salam, was that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the angel to bring him soil from different parts of the world. After the earth was created, different parts of the world so that Adam salam, could represent everybody. Right? That's why from him comes... All shades of colors, ethnicities, backgrounds, uh, various physiques, and so on, because he comes from everywhere. Allah took that soil, he blew the soul in there, and that's why, verse 29, Now, since the human being had been given so many privileges, so many merits, so many virtues, so many excellences, right? Adam was given that. But from him, all the human beings, they've inherited that. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says, فَقَعُوا لَهُ سَاجِدِينَ He tells the angels and everybody then, fall prostrate. Prostrate for them, out of respect. They all prostrated except the Iblis. Now Iblis is generally linked to the angels, that they all prostrated except Iblis, as though Iblis is part of the angels. However, according to the strongest opinion, which actually is mentioned in the Quran, that كَانَ مِنَ الْجِنْ the, the, the Iblis is never an angel. He was not made from, as mentioned here, uh, it, the, he was never made from light. He was made from fire. He's actually one of the jinn, just a really bad place. Sorry, just a really bad category of jinn. The worst of the jinn are the Iblis. There are good jinn as well, right? But these are the worst of the worst. And he's basically got charge of misleading humans and the jinn folk. So he refused. And then the whole discussion there is about his arrogance, right? That's one of the main things of his arrogance, that reason he refused 
is because he says, I go up and, and the soil is from low and so on and so forth. This in there is a message for the people of Makkah that do not be arrogant just because you've got the power in your hand. And likewise for any other people, do not be arrogant because arrogance does not lead you. You should bow to the truth when it comes. So this essentially, this story that's mentioned here, while it looks like it's the story of Adam salam, it's actually the story of all humanity because that's where we come from. Now, jinn, uh, sorry, the shaitan, the iblis, the iblis, that's his particular name, name. Shaitan is basically everybody, but iblis is the particular, the arch shaitan. He used to hang around, he was a worshipper before. He used to worship Allah. They said that uh, he worshipped Allah in many, many, many different places. And that's why he used to intermingle with the angels. But when he do th done this, he became the rejected one. And subhanAllah, he changes like immediately because it was destined, right? It changes immediately. He asks for respite, right? After he refuses and then he's thrown out and whatever, he's made a re rejected one. Then he asks for respite. So he's given respite and then immediately he makes a promise, right? And he makes it very clear that I'm going to mislead everybody. Maybe that's a good thing. So at least we know. Right? Maybe it's a good thing, so at least we know. So he says, I'm going to basically stand in their path, I'm going to mislead them, I'm going to detract, uh, distract them, and I'm going to make sure that none of them worship you. But this is where, this is, this is a really beautiful part. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in response, Well, actually, first, Iblis himself says in verse 40, I'm going to mislead everybody except your sincere servants. That's why develop sincerity and that, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh man, we've been fighting with the devil for years and years and years, right? For all our life, we've been fighting with the devil. The way to get out of it is become a sincere believer in Allah. And that's the way the shaitan will stay away and have the dhikr of Allah on your lips and in your heart. Then the shaitan will, we, we, we will be protected inshallah from the shaitan because that's what the shaitan himself is saying that I can't touch the mukhlisin. Then Allah says that this is the straight path to me. And my servants, you will not have. My real servants, ibadi, laysa laka alayhim sultan. You will not have any power against them. Illa man min al ghawin, Except the ones who want to follow you. The, those deviant ones who want to follow you. But then Jahannam is basically the place of promise. Right? That's the place of warning. And Jahannam has laha sab. Now there's a lot of dissuasion going on here. Laha sab'atu abwab. Jahannam has seven doors. So we got lots of space inside. And for a place to have seven doors, that means it's got a lot of space. Right? Just talking about one of the doors of paradise, they say that just one of those doors, 70,000, those initial contingent of 70,000 people that will not be questioned, will go in paradise. And it says that they will all go in together. Nobody jostling one another. Nobody going first or second. Everybody together. That's how one door of paradise is. Hellfire must be similar that it's got such huge doors and seven. But Allah for, her, for paradise, He keeps it eight doors. Out of the norm. Everything is seven, seven, seven throughout the heavens. Comes to paradise, He gives it eight to give more optimism, I'm assuming. But anyway, Allah then says, لَهَا سَبْعَةُ أَبْوَابْ لِكُلِّ بَابٍ مِنْهُمْ جُزْءٌ مَقْسُومٌ And for every door, there, there is already allotted people, allotted groups for every door. May Allah protect us and may Allah not make us of those who will be, you know, in one of those registers for hellfire. So that's why Allah make, is making it very clear that only those with impurity in them, only those with, only those with impure ideas, impure beliefs, too much desire, impure desires, only the khabith basically, only you're going to be able to mislead those people. But for them we've got the hellfire ready. But as we said always, whenever there's dissuasion, there's going to be persuasion. So whenever there's targheeb, targheeb, so initially all of this was targheeb, now comes targheeb. Now comes, targhib, now comes targheeb. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts a discussion of paradise. For the righteous ones will be the gardens and the springs. Enter it, enter them with completely, complete safety and peace. And subhanAllah, another discussion about paradise, a lot of people are wondering, especially husband and wives who don't like one another, like how am I going to stay with my spouse in paradise or whoever it is? Allah says, وَنَزَعْنَا مَا فِي صُدُورِهِمْ مِنْ غِلْ We're going to remove any hatred, 
any jealousy, any of this rancor in the heart will remove it. Ikhwanan, they will be brothers, right? They will have that love between them. And ala sururin mutaqabin, sitting face to face on on those platforms there, on those thrones there. La yamassuhum fiha nasab, not a place of any difficulty or hardship. There is no effort in paradise. Whatever you want, you get. That's why when somebody said that I want to do farming, will there be farming in paradise? You just put the seed in and it will grow and cut. everything will happen the same day. What's the point of farming then? So my sister called me the other day. She says, I just discovered there's going to be no children in paradise. I mean, you can't have children in paradise. I don't have children here. I don't expect to get children here. And that's going to be really sad. I said, don't think of it as though you're still in the world. That farmer asked the same question. And then when the Prophet ﷺ told him it's all going to happen like in an instance, he probably... It doesn't mention in the hadith, but you probably feel like, what's the point of that? The whole point of farming is you put it in, you wait for it germinate, you look after it, you tender, you, you know, tender care, and then after that, mashallah, you get it and you get excited. What's the point you put it in, it's all done. Right? Would you even want to do that? Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Of course, you can do whatever you want. But it's a time of enjoyment. Why would you want to do things like that? It's a time of enjoyment. So people think that my enjoyment is in this in the world. Well, if that's what you want, Allah will give it to you, right? If He wants. If He wants in that way, but there are certain things that... It's mentioned in hadith and there will be no children in paradise. They will be the children of paradise, but not biological birth in paradise. The whole body is going to be re-kitted. Right? So there's no intestine. You don't, you don't, what do you call it? You don't dissolve, your way of digesting the food is basically the, the whole body is re-kitted to produce like a perspiration of musk. Not, not, not stool, not defecation. It's a whole different scene, so just wait. Just ask Allah, Allah, I want you to give me paradise and I want to be happy there. That's all you worry about. Then take it at its own level. Take it on its own terms. Don't try to impose your dunya onto paradise because that's a totally different world. We've seen many times that sometimes you think that when you, when you go somewhere else, you're going to do things, that like you're going to stick to your ways. When you actually go there, when in Rome, you have to do what the Romans do. Basically, you, you change and then you become adjusted. There's a lot of people like that. This person told me she, she got married. Uh, the guy I know, he's a friend of mine, his wife is from India. He, she could not eat Thai food. Because Thai food is sweet, sour and hot all at once. It's like various different flavors in there at one time, right? She, for a two years she couldn't eat. Then after that, now she can eat it. How long are you going to resist? You become like that. Jannah as well, you just enjoy Jannah. And you do it very fast as well, inshallah. Anyway, let's move on quickly. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... So talks about paradise in that detail. May Allah grant us paradise and how He will be forgiving. Nabi ibadi. These are very, very promising verses. These are a lot of optimism here. In verse 49, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Nabi ibadi anni anal ghafoorur rahim. After talking about paradise, Allah says, Let my servants know that I am the forgiving and the merciful one. But wa anna adabi al But my punishment is also a very severe punishment. Very severe punishment. And this is exactly what Allah wants us to be in between hope and fear. We have fear, but not so much to debilitate us. But we need hope, but not too much that we have no fear. And subhanAllah, there's a lot of people without any fear. That's a bigger issue. There's a few people I've seen with extreme fear, which debilitates them. Most people are suffering from an abundance of hope that gets to be whimsical and fanciful. And that's why Allah give us sufficient fear. Khashiyatak. Right? Uh, that, that basically allows us to stay steadfast. Then there's the story of Ibrahim Islam is suddenly put in between and uh, how Ibrahim Islam, the angels come to him and give him the glad tidings. And again, I think the reason of the glad tidings here, he's about 120 years according to the narrations when this happens. And he gives, gets given a glad tiding of a child at that time. And he's worrying, how, how is that possible? But look at the verse, uh, verse 56 where Allah says, you know, who's going to be despondent? Who can be despondent of the mercy of Allah except those who've gone astray? Right? Anybody who's not astray, who's on the path of Allah, the path of Allah means that you're going to have hope. So even if you're old and you want a child, you can have hope in Allah and pray just the way. And when it comes to Surah Maryam, you'll see how to make that prayer, how Zakaria made his prayer. And I think that's mentioned here to give the whole hope aspect, uh, uh, you know, a bigger a bigger impact as well. When he asked the question that how am I gonna how are you giving me this glad tiding? The angels then said, Basharnaka bilhaq, we're giving you these glad tidings with absolute truth. Don't be from the 
despondent ones. So then he responds that, to be honest, uh, he, he responds that nobody can be despondent of the mercy of Allah except the misguided ones. And I'm not the misguided one, so he can't be. I'm just asking, I'm like finding out, am I going to have another wife? My wife is very old. Am I gonna, is it going to be from another wife? That's kind of the question that he was trying to ask. Now, another very interesting thing here, right, which is one of the kind of miracles, one of the very special uh, features of the Quran, is that where there's a lot of hope being discussed now, the theme is hope. So now look at this. See what common thread you can see. لا توجل إنا نبشرك بغلام عليم قال أبشرتموني على أمسن الكبر فبما تبشرون قالوا بشرناك بالحق فلا تكن من القانتين What is the common theme you see there? There are, in, in just a, like two or three verses, there are four, bashara, four words of bashara, glad tiding, right? And again, for somebody who really understands and who feels the Quran as they read it, this will not be devoid. Then after that, the angels go from him, after giving the glad tidings to his nephew, to Lut salam, And subhanAllah, that whole uh, discussion takes place there with Lut salam, And he's obviously worried because he thinks his people who are homosexuals were going to attack the angels, so then he talks about the girls of the area and so on. But these people say, Don't worry, everything is taken care of, <coughs> and now we're going to come to they're going to be destroyed. So, Allahu Akbar. Allah says, It was the morning time, and there was a shriek, right? A very loud shriek. We put the top level below. So we basically turned that entire coastal region, wherever it was, upside down. And then after that, they're dead by now. I mean, there's nothing you can, there's nothing. Uh, you, the, the, apparently it says that Jibreel came, according to some narration it mentioned, Jibreel came from the corner of its wing. He took that entire area up. Like, you know, you just take, like a whole segment up, like you, you take pieces of grass and you replant them. So took that up, turned it upside down, flung it down. By that, nobody is alive. But just to show anger of Allah, Allah says, وَأَمْطَرْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ حِجَارَةً مِّنْ سِجِّيلٍ Then they showered on them stones. And in other places, مُسَوَّمَةً They were also named. To show real, uh, you know, to show uh, real um, dislike for this. Uh, for those people. Anyway, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses وَلَقَدْ كَذَّبَ the, the namesake of the, the surah وَلَقَدْ كَذَّبَ أَصْحَابُ الْحِجْرِ الْمُرْسَلِينَ The people of Hijr, they also denied their messengers and we'd given them a lot of signs. And وَكَانُوا يَنْحِتُونَ مِنَ الْجِبَالِ بُيُوتًا آمِنِينَ These were the people that used to carve out from huge mountainsides and rocks. They used to carve out uh, they, they used to carve these, uh, pl their, their dwelling places. Now, I haven't been to Madain Saleh, but I've been to Petra, which is a much later people. They were before, uh, they, 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 were, they, they were just a century or so or two before uh, the Prophet وسلم, the Arabs, basically, in, in Medina, in Makkah, Mukarramah. So, you, you see the way that the Khizana and all these places are just cut into the rock. It's amazing, with such elaborate, you know, craftsmanship, and, uh, you, you know, the masons must have been amazing. So that's what he's talking about. But he says that, again, they were taken by a, a scream in, in the morning and nothing could avail them. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had given them a sign, right? Allah had given them all of this ability and given them a sign that from a mountainside of rock, he produced a pregnant she-camel, right? That was just about to give birth. And that used to give huge amounts of milk. But they killed it. Rather than benefit from it, they killed it. So signs, amazing sign like that. And it was larger than usual. So it was not a normal she-camel. It was larger than usual. Definitely unique, right? And extraordinary, but they didn't, they didn't listen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you basically don't listen. Allah's giving you the ni'mah of the Quran and so on. So anyway, finally, the last discussion here is to the Prophet sallallahu We know that your heart gets constricted because of what they say. It, you get anguish, you get, you know, you get, um, 
you, you get anxiety because of it. But فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ Rabbik. And this is a huge lesson for all of those who have anxiousness. Uh, this, is a, this is a prescription to the Prophet ﷺ to remove his concern, his worry, his grief over what people say. When he gets vexed with people, Allah is saying, فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ Rabbik. Sit and do some tasbih with the, with the praise of your Lord. وَكُمْ مِنَ السَّاجِدِينَ And be of the prostrators. وَعْبُدْ Rabbak And continue to worship your Lord until the yaqeen, the, the certainty comes to you. That could mean so many different things, whether that means death or whatever the case is. You have to, until death, you have to worship anyway. So remember, that's a prescription to the Prophet If it's good for the Prophet then it must be very special for us as well. By that, the chapter ends. The surah ends. That's the end of Surah Al-Hijr. And now we begin Surah Al-Nahl. Surah Al-Nahl is also a Makki surah. This one has jumps up to 128 verses. And they're longer verses as well. And it splits up into 16 sections. And it's called Nahl. Nahl it means a honeybee. Allah features the honeybee in the Quran. People get annoyed with the buzzing. And they shoo them away, they kill them, they exterminate them. But really, wasps are worse than the honeybees. The honeybees are really good. And subhanAllah, this, there's a special feature in this surah of the honeybee that will come much later, in much of the later verses. But the idea of the honeybee, I just want to explain to you the verse. Let's just quickly look at that first before we talk about the rest of the surah. Allah, uh, so that you can follow, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَوْحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى النَّحَلِ Verse 68. وَأَوْحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى النَّحَلِ مِنَ الْجِبَالِ بُيُوتًا We basically inspired the honeybee, right? That they should make their homes in the mountains and in trees وَمِنَ الشَّجَرِ وَمِمَّا يَعْرِشُونَ ثُمَّ كُلِي مِنْ كُلِّ الثَّمَرَةِ Now go and basically forage all the different flowers, right? All the different flowers to look for your ne- nectar. First, look at يِسُبُّ Be humble in, your, in the, your uh, uh, path of your Lord and then يَخْرُجُ مِن بُطُونِهَا شَرَابٌ مُخْتَلِفٌ أَلْوَانُهُ فِيهِ شِفَاءٌ لِلنَّاسِ from their stomachs come a liquid which is of different colors but in there is cure for the people and in this is a sign for those who reflect and believe me if you start thinking about the honeybee there is just so much study on the way honey is fascinating Absolutely fascinating. And just about the various different type colors of honey. I mean, in my life, I've had black honey, like just dark black treacle-like honey. And I've had the purest white honey. I remember the, the black honey was from Panama. And not that it's only available there, there's other places. And the white one was actually from Hawaii. Right? And I've had honey. I mean, right now, I've got Ukrainian honey in the house. And honey from New Zealand and from Australia. And a few other places. Ajib, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, honey is amazing. I just was given, sent some honey, pomegranate honey from Bengal. But unfortunately, I think it's, uh, it's, it's messed up. So anyway, the honeybee now is, is quite amazing. Why would something so small that people treat? In fact, in a hadith, it mentions that the, the, the insan is like a honeybee. A good insan is like the honeybee. Because it only consumes good. It will never take the wrong. It will never take the impure. And when it produces, all its honey is always a pure, pure substance. Right? And then it says that when it actually does go onto the flower, where it's going to take its pollen from, very delicate stems you'll see in there. It says it hovers around it, it doesn't actually alight on it. It just alights around it. Hovers around it, takes its pollen, and then it goes away. It's amazing how the honeybee works. If you just follow that, it's amazing. There's a museum in South London, Right, which actually just shows you uh, it, it kind of close up a lot of this stuff. It's very interesting. So w- since Allah has mentioned it, what we have to understand is why is this? When, a per- when the humans look and study at the honeybee, they're just astounded because they hardly see any other animal like that. Other animals, they have their crude ways. But the honeybee is one of the most sophisticated beings. Right? And they've got very similar strategies and very similar management and very similar setup to human beings in many ways. So let's look at that. For example, they have their responsibilities divided. There's a queen bee, right, which is protected. 
and then they have basically the offspring. They have the young, which are looked after. They have the worker bees. They have the guard bees outside. I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm using the right words for those who, you know, understand um, honey's, uh, you know, may, maybe I'm not using the right terms. But so they have all the jobs split up like that, all organized like that. Some, they go to the various different plants and they take from there. Now, what's very interesting is that each one of these hives, each one of these hives will have maybe 30,000 or so, uh, 30,000 or so small um, cavities, right, which are so well done. They are basically in the shape of, shape of a hexagon. And they're so proportionate that you'd hardly ever find that one is bigger or smaller than the other. Like they're just completely, perfectly in tune with one another. Even if you use modern, you know, like if you try to measure it up, you, you won't find much of a difference. They obviously have the storage area. They have the area where they take from, where they consume from. They have uh, the guards at the door, as I mentioned. They, they have the queen bee. And some look after the larvae or whatever they, they, they have. There's others that look after the children. There's some that are involved in the engineering and the, they're basically the construction workers. They make sure they keep it all fixed up, right, if anything goes wrong. And there's the ones that go out. Now, when they go out and they find a flower or something and they take the nectar from there, they leave a sign there. I'm not sure exactly how that is yet, but they leave something there. So another bee that goes and finds that same one, it won't waste its time. That's why you hardly see like so many bees on one place. You only see one or two. They take... Then after that they go, no other bee has to go there, they go and find some new place. And of course the honey will change depending on what, the, what they're taking from. So that's why I talked about the pomegranate honey, there's a lot of pomegranate trees there, and that's why when you actually have that honey, you actually taste the pomegranate taste. And that's why you have the various different types of honeys, eucalyptus and so on and so forth. Now if any of them bring back bad nectar, that's impure, whatever, the guards at the door will not let them come in, and then they'll get punished. It's amazing. Like, it, the system is amazing. It just works like clockwork. They can't bring any pure, impure substance in to mess up the rest of the honey. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very clearly stating in here that we inspired them. We basically guided them in that way. And even the word used, awha, generally which is used for prophets to inspire them with something. Right? So it's a very complicated, very elaborate and sophisticated system. And... That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there's enough in there for people to think about. And this is actually the few verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, starting from verse 66, it says, You also can take lessons from the cattle, right? We provide you to drink from what's in their stomachs. That comes from between the impure section of um, where, where, the, where the dirt, uh, uh, where, where the dirt uh, accumulates and where the blood is. And in between that, we provide milk for you. That is sa'iran nisharibin, one of the most you know, amazing drinks in the world. And then he says, وَمِن ثَمَرَاتِ النَّخِيلِ وَلَعْنَاب Talks about now fruits and flowers. Right? You take from there what you need. And in there is also a sign for people who think. Right? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the honeybee and so on and so forth. So that's a place of... I would say that suratun, uh, surah, uh, this surah, Suratun Nahal, is another word for it, is, uh, another name for it is Suratul Ni'am. Plural of Ni'mah. That's why he's got several verses about Ni'mah in particular. And all the Ni'am, all the bounties that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is enumerating in here. Including the honeybee, including the fruits, including the animals, the cattle, the milk. Even milk is mentioned here, Lebanon. Right? Milk is mentioned here. So anyway, if we go back to the beginning of the, the chapter, beginning of the surah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts to talk about the bounties that He's given to human beings. Right? How Allah created a human being from a, a, a clot. Uh, talks about again the an'am, which is the cattle and all the benefits you get from there. Right? How you can eat from there, how you can take uh, things to uh, your, your cloth to warm yourself up with. And then this is amazing. Look at this. In verse 7, Allah says, If, you were, if it was left to you, you, you would not have been able to go very easily to far distant places. 
But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you the horses and the... <coughs> Allah has given you the camels, the donkeys and so on, where if it wasn't for them, it'd be very difficult for you to travel. So basically showing how for the human being, Allah has put them at his disposal, go around the earth, right? Using these animals. Allah is compassionate and merciful. Then Allah says, وَالْخَيْلَ وَالْبِغَالَ وَالْحَمِيرَ لِتَرْكَبُوهَا وَزِينَةً Right? You have these, the, the horse, the mule, which is a cross between a horse and a donkey, right? They're very strong. And the donkey itself, this is what you use for mounting on to take you places and also... Or, 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 to, uh, or to basically carry things for you, and you also take it as a zina. These are your assets, right? I have this many horses, I have this many camels. I had a friend in Medina Munawi, he said his dad looks after camels, he's got a hundred camels, right? So that was it, you know, I had a hundred camels, right? And Allah will create what you do not know. In the same discussion of uh, traveling means, Allah mentioned the few, right? That which was the traveling means of the day, some of them. Then Allah says, Allah will create that which you do not know. How could he have mentioned cars and segways at that time? No would have made any, you know. But Allah said it. He said, And he, is gonna, he will create what you do not know. And that's why, subhanAllah, this is, you can say, one of the greatest miracles of the last century. Because a lot of this has just come up in the last century. Or last century and a half. So basically, we've got steamboats, bicycles, trains, planes, Trams, submarines, rockets, cars, buses, motorbikes, hovercrafts, snowmobiles, dune buggies, segways, flying taxis soon, right? Flying boards, hoverboards, and subhanAllah, we don't even know what else. And Allah says, Allah is going to create that which you do not know. SubhanAllah. This surah is just full of the signs of Allah and blessings. And then Allah says from verse 10, He's explaining the benefits of everything. He's caused the water to descend. From there you drink. And it's from there that you give water to your crops. You irrigate your land. Then Allah, Allah has created these crops for you. Again talks about the zaytun, the olive. The nakhil, the palm, and the anab, the grapes. Alright? Wamin kulli thamarat, and all other fruits. And again, there's a sign in there for those who think. Allahu Akbar. You know, there's one thing that you have to realize that many of us who don't understand Arabic, right, are deprived of is engaging with the Quran. We read it, but that's it. And we listen to it and we enjoy it, but that's it. The Quran is for engagement. Just look at the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts this surah. Ata amrullahi, the the command of Allah has arrived. Fala tasta'jiluhu, don't rush him. Direct address, not talking about the third person. Direct address. That's why in it are people uh, a sign for people who think. If you don't read this and understand this, then are we one of the thinkers? How are we going to benefit from this? Unless you get a tafsir in another language, that's understandable, right? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the heavens, uh, sorry, the night and the day, the sun and the moon, and the stars, right? And again says, there's sign in there for the people who understand. And uh, whatever Allah has then spread in verse uh, 13, Allah says, whatever He spread on the earth for you, which is full of different colors, variety of colors, there's again sign in there for people who remember, remind themselves. Allah talks about the, I mean, I'll have to let you read it to yourself. He's talking about the oceans. And then from there he says the fish come. لِتَأْكُلُوا مِنْهُ لَحْمًا Right? So that you can eat from the oceans fresh meat. And that's basically talking about fish. And then from there you can take out adornments, you know, your, your, your various different pearls and, and things like that. SubhanAllah. And then he talks about ships. There's just so much. I'll have to leave it to you because we absolutely don't have the time to discuss all of this. But the main thing that I want to point out here is after mentioning a lot of those, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 18, He gives such a variety of bounties and then He says, if you try to count the bounties of Allah, you would not be able to enumerate them. That's a statement and a fact. Even if you try to take one of those bounties, count the bounties in there, just the human being itself. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then continues to discuss 
talks about that oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and, and so on. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about the human, I mean, if you look at the ni'mah of the human being himself, just the way the whole system in that I talked about the biological setup of the human being, just if you have a problem and you can't urinate properly or you can't defecate, you're constipated, the kind of misery it creates. You don't even feel like eating afterwards. If you've got a stomach upset, you don't feel like eating even if you have the best of foods in front of you. All of that has to be in balance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it in a way that it repairs itself. Right? Uh, after having even turbulence, even if you abuse it. Now, what I want to mention here is that it's something you, you're going to have to re, you know, reflect over the rest of it. But there's one verse in here, in this surah, which is considered to be one of the most uh, comprehensive verses. Uh, that is repeated over and over again. It's mentioned in Abdullah ibn Masood who mentions that this, this particular verse in the Quran is considered to be the most comprehensive verse that brings together all the goodness and evil in one place as to what is our responsibility. And that there was a Walid ibn Mughira, one of the enemies of Islam. When he heard this verse, he had to break out in praise. That wow, that is such a comprehensive one verse that encapsulates so many things. There are three things that are mentioned in this verse. And let me just bring the verse up. It's at the three-quarter mark, verse 90 of Surah Nahl. This for Muslim or non-Muslim, this works for anybody who can understand. Allah says that Allah orders justice, ihsan, excellence and good behavior in every aspect. Ita idil qurba, and basically giving to your relatives. And then he prohibits from fahsha, obscenity. Right? Obscenity, wal munkar, and all other evil, wal baghi, and excess. Ya'idhukum la'allakum tadakkaroon. He reminds you, counsels you so that you take heed. And then Allah says, wa'awfu bil ahd, and, and so on and so forth. But what you have to remember here, what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, why this is so important, is because the adl that's discussed there, uh, the adl that, inna Allah ya'mur bil adli, Right, the adl and the justice that's discussed, discussed there, that refers to everything. Whether that mean ahkam, you have to be just in the way you give a ruling, just in your dealings, in everything. Also, you have to be just in the way you observe your obligations. Just because something is obligation, you don't abuse somebody else. In your wajibat, everything. With your children, with your friends, even with your enemies, adl is important. Just because they're enemy doesn't mean everything is permitted. There's boundaries within that as well. Likewise, with strangers, with your own, with your staff, with your, with your spouse, and everybody else. The second thing is ihsan. What does ihsan mean? Since this is such a prominent verse, it's important to understand. Ihsan means beautification of your deal in what you do. Ihsan means beautification. Husan means goodness and beauty. Or excellence. So basically, goodwill, excellence to people. And that means... With Allah, your relationship with Allah, you do things well for Him. With uh, other people outside, with your own people, and, and so on and so forth. Even with the animals, even with the environment. Ihsan, right? You treat everything well. From neighbors to the environment, to your cars, to everything. To your clothing and everything. That's why you don't abuse things. You can say, well, it's mine, I can abuse it. No, there's a reason why you don't do that because it's about Ihsan. Number three is special focus on your relatives that they need help. You need, if there's something they need, you need to provide for them. You get reward for doing that to anybody. But when it comes to your relatives, then it's a bigger issue. Because that's the way you're going to strengthen the nuclear family and, and the larger family and then the community. Then in terms of prohibition, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He prohibits you from fuhsh. And that means obscenity, Right? And that essentially refers to everything which is considered a, a sexual vice. So in Islam, that would be uh, fornication, sex outside of marriage, premarital, premarital, 
uh, if it's haram postmarital, yes, post uh, uh, extramarital, and uh, of course homosexuality in Islam uh, is uh, the act of it is also going to be included in this, as Allah mentions in the Quran, uh, drinking wine, uh, gambling, and all of this is going to be fuhsh according to this. Then what's munkar then? Munkar is more generally anything repugnant and wrong. Basically anything that is sharia, two things. Anything that sharia considers to be repugnant and anything that a sound fitra, a sound mind, nature would consider to be off balance and wrong. Right? So a lot of people think, this is not haram brother, why are you saying that? Well, it's not considered social decency. So there are two aspects of munkar, a lot of people miss that. They think there's no hadith about it. There's a Quranic verse about it. Munkar includes that. Munkar is not just what the Sharia prohibits, but also what is considered to be uh, socially repugnant according to good people. And number three is baghi then. What does baghi mean? Baghi means going over the limit, going beyond the boundary. And that could be in, in, in anything, whether that means you know, going beyond in your treatment of somebody, in taking from someone beyond what is there, not, not giving what is, what is due to someone. At the end of the chapter, to end it, there is the discussion of Ibrahim al-Islam is brought again. Ibrahim al-Islam always is brought up because he is that perfect archetype that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about because of his tawheed. The monotheism that he practiced and that he expressed and that has been left for us. And that's why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has been told to follow Ibrahim alayhi inna Ibrahim kana ummatan qanitan lillahi hanifa wa lam yakun min al-mushrikeen shakiran li an'umi again that theme of the bounties is brought there that Ibrahim alayhi was always thankful and grateful for his bounties that's why then the prophet sallallahu alayhi is told in verse 23 one, sorry 123 123 then we have inspired you that you must follow the way of Ibrahim Salam, the, the, the deen of Ibrahim Milla, the deen of Ibrahim salam, who was an absolute monotheist and he was not from the mushrikeen and then there's several other things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then let, let me just bring out to you some of the few other verses that I've marked out that I think uh, should be focused on before I read the last verse to end uh, today's uh, today's tafsir we have obviously the verses of ni'mah that I already mentioned and the concept of the bushra that we, we discussed, then the point of ni'mah comes back quite a few times. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then says in verse 43, which is a very prominent, important verse as well, verse 43, right? Um, it's talking about people that Allah, uh, uh, the prophets that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent before the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that he would, uh, he, he would inspire them. Now, the command for us is فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ right? فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ Ask the people of knowledge if you do not know. This is a huge command that when you don't know something, go and ask. Don't suffer in silence and don't become ignorant. But go and ask. That's where you get the idea of taking classes. This is basically the basis of all the education that takes place. Right, so go and ask the people of knowledge. That's why you would go and sit in a class and study with somebody else. Then another one I want to point out to you is وَمَا بِكُمْ مِن نِعْمَةٍ فَمِنَ اللَّهِ which is verse 54. That's why, as I said, 53 rather, huge theme in this is the bounties of Allah. That's why وَمَا بِكُمْ مِن نِعْمَةٍ Any bounty that you have, it is from Allah. Right, and if you think hard enough, you can take even the bread that you eat all the way back to that same water irrigation and the land that I spoke about earlier that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about. If it wasn't for that water and that land, you would not have had bread. So anything that you can think about goes back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then something that the, the, the Meccans used to do is that they used to say that the angels are the daughters of Allah. And that was a blasphemy. Because number one, they're ascribing a partner to Allah, but then is a greater blasphemy because they used to hate daughters for themselves. But then to God, who they're supposed to believe, they're saying that Allah has daughters. And that's the angels. He doesn't have daughters or, ch or sons for that matter. That was in, um, that, that, that was basically that discussion. You can read that discourse in 58, 57, 58. Right? That, then Allah says that when they're told about a daughter, given a glad tidings, they, their face becomes dark. 
since we can't cover every single one, especially those that I think are important, Allah then says in verse 96, مَا عِنْدَكُمْ يَنْفَدْ وَمَا عِنْدَ اللَّهِ Right? Anything that you have, it's going to end. But whatever is by Allah, that's going to remain forever. That means our good deeds will remain. The Qur'an that we read, the Qur'an we study, all of that, inshaAllah, will be counted as the baq. And the last, the last verse. Actually, there's a few things here. Number one, let's look at verse 125. We can't miss this out. This is talking to the Prophet ﷺ and the general believers as well as to how to call people to Allah. Right? Not in some kind of militant hyper way. Invite to the path of your Lord with wisdom. Wisdom is to think how can I most effectively have this message so give to them so that they can actually make a difference and they will change. And goodly advice. And if you have to debate with them, then it needs to be done in the most excellent way. Right? Not in crude ways. That's not what you do. Then... The next verse, 126, is if you do punish someone, if you do, not punish, if you take revenge, right, for something they've done to you, then it needs to be There needs to be exactly in the same proportion that you were transgressed against. That reminds us of Shakespeare's play of the Merchant of Venice, right? Um, I don't have time to elaborate on that. But basically, you can't take more than... If somebody said one thing to you, you have to say it exactly the same way if you want to. Not in a more vile way. Not in a more aggressive way because that would be extra. Right? And that's why Allah says, If you don't take revenge, but you're just patient, then that is actually better for the patient ones. Because you could actually go in excess if you try to take revenge. You might say it worse. Just slightly more. And then finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ends by saying that to the Prophet ﷺ, you also be patient. Your patience is all counted with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And do not be grieved by him. Do not be grieved by them. Do not be grieved by all that they do. And inna Allah ma'alladheena taqaw walladheena hum muhsinoon. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with those who have taqwa and those who, who do good. So just a quick recount. I forgot to do that yesterday. Just, just a few points. Surah Al-Hijr begins with the way the Qur'an is, is protected and how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken responsibility for that and then giving the Prophet sallallahu alayhi a lot of comfort and solace and so on. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala discusses the greatness of the creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala around us and he mentions the resurrection and, and so on. Then there is the discussion of the creation of the human being and the jinn. And then the discussion, discourse between Insan and the, uh, the Adam Salam and Iblis and the deviance that he's going to create and so on. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, gives a lot of hope by saying, Nabbi ibadi anni anal rahim. If you remember that verse, that let my servants know that I am the forgiving one and I'm the merciful one, right? So yes, you may have done something wrong, but I'm merciful, which means that I'm going to do as much as I can to uh, to, to, to respond to you But then also my punishment is severe So that gives us the balance between the two Then after that You see in those verses that we read Where there was Bushra, Bushra Following, following verse 50 Bushra three, four times actually Glad tidings mentioned four times Which in itself is very symbolic Then there's the discussion of Lut and Ibrahim right? And the vices committed by his people uh, Lut salam's people Then the end of Surah Al-Hijr Tells us that when you do have difficulty in your heart and bad feelings, then do tasbih, the prescription given to the Prophet ﷺ. Then Surah Al-Nahl, which is also called Surah Al-Ni'am, bounties, right? Um, that, that Surah is there to give shukr. Because every time you read one of those verses, he doesn't, Allah doesn't say, He could have said that, right? But He doesn't. But it's for us to just reflect. In, in several places there, He says, is, there's sign in here for those who think, for who listen, for who think, for who understand, and for those who are believers. There's four or five of them where he mentions that, and you can find them, inshallah, and just read it and thank Allah as you read it. 
And then, of course, there's the discussion about the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the huge bounties that he discusses, especially there's that one place he discussed where Allah gave them huge bounties, but then they were ungrateful. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, they were destroyed basically. And at the end, there is the encouragement to do da'wah, but in a nice way, in an excellent way to basically uh, propagate and to spread the virtue and, and, and patience. In your, in, your, uh, in, your, in your da'wah, there's always going to be difficulty. Right? Sometimes you may talk to one person and mashallah they change and you think, wow, wonderful. Next five people are going to give you an aggressive attitude, a bad response. And you're going to think, oh, no, I can't do this anymore. One of the biggest pitfalls or challenges to a da'i is the rejection. And the true da'i is the one who doesn't care about rejection, who just carries on because he knows he's planting seeds. And if it doesn't germinate right now, it's going to germinate tomorrow. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us that ability. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us. May Allah allow us to be grateful for the bounties that He has enumerated here and everywhere else as well. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be true da'is. May Allah bless our Ramadan and make this Ramadan better than any Ramadan before it. And allow the virtues and lights of this Ramadan to continue after it. Jazakallah khair. I request your du'as as well for all of us. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.